Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell the tale itself and about a chat, have a chat about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome along to episode 25 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. 25, we are halfway to 50, we are quarter way to 100, we are a big boy podcast, or we're at least becoming that, I like to think anyway. We are coming to you as always from the beautiful surroundings of the Head Stuff Podcast Network Studios. If you are a first time listener, very welcome along. If you're a returning listener, I apologize for the weird way I'm talking at the moment. If you're new, have a listen to this tale, and if you enjoy it, why not head back to the beginning and see what we've been building up to with the folklore and mythology of our beautiful land of Ireland, or your our beautiful land of Ireland, if you're here, or potentially your beautiful land of Ireland, if you're even outside of Ireland. As I know, there are a good few listeners, and we want you, we want more and more of you. Please tell your friends. In general, tell all your friends. Please do continue to subscribe on iTunes, leave ratings, subs- uh, leave ratings and comments. Follow me on Instagram at Solo O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O, all one word. If you really like the podcast and would like to support it further, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. It is with a very specific aim, a very noble and aim that does we don't require a huge amount, but we want to take this podcast live. We want to create live storytelling evenings, which I believe would be brilliant and really important at the moment. Um, not important, but like, I think they could be really good, especially around Dublin. I think it's something, there's a market for it out there, and I would love to be the one to do it. But we cannot do so without your support. So if you want to, please do, um, please do subscribe to the Patreon page. And if not, just continue to listen for free. That is also absolutely grand. I have a great joy and love of doing this podcast, and that's why I do it. We are dealing with an Irish folktale today. This was one that came to me in a dream that I forgot in another dream. No, this indirectly came from the Irish Gothic fairy stories from the 32 Counties book that the last folktale we did and one other one I've done so come from so far. <coughs> um, the last story was, of course, it wasn't Mr. Fox. What was the one after that? I'm going mad. <laughs> It was episode 23, which was Dano. Jesus, nearly sweared there. Actually did curse anyway. Apologies for that. Uh, Dano or the devil. It was, of course, it was our beautiful tale from Limerick. 
because each one of those stories from that book is from a different county. And that was our Limerick City tale, Kate. I hope you all enjoyed that one. And so, basically, how I've been going through that book, trying to find other good, good tales, is I've been going to my favourite counties. I started with the Wicklow one. So I'm from Wicklow, of course. Uh, and I live in Dublin, so I looked at Dublin's one. I don't, neither of them were particularly of value to me because they're written in different ways. The Wicklow folktale was a conversation between a man and a woman, an older gentleman and an older lady, about a fairy that had been in their house and didn't really yield a folktale from it. Uh, but after Dublin, I went to Cork and to Limerick, where my grandparents were from, two counties very close to my heart. And they both yielded fantastic tales. Cork came the Tobacco Quest and Limerick came Dano or the Devil right there. And next I went to the county of Mayo because I was recently on tour in America and two of my very dear friends who I was on tour with, uh, Dara and Michal Healy, two of the greatest traditional Irish musicians uh, that I've ever, uh, ever met and just top blokes as well. Good, good buddies. I've dedicated an episode of this to Dara before as a listener of this podcast. Um, But I went to Mayo to see where could we get a good tale from that. And rather than using the tale from the book itself, it has an introduction, the book, to each county. It says, you know, what this county is famous for uh, in terms of folklore, like what folklorists are from there, what tales are from here. And it just had in the introduction that Mayo is home to one of the best Irish folk tales of all time, uh, which was one called Galish, about a young boy who goes on a trip to kidnap the princess of France. And that was all it said. And I'd never heard of this story. And it was apparently one of the most famous. That has happened a few, a couple of times before. That was where I found the legend of Knock Grafton, which was the tale of uh, the hunchback, the hunchback Lus Moore and De Lu and De Mort. That was, there was, I think that was Tipperary that that county was from. And I was looking on the tip page of that book and it mentioned it as one of the most famous fairy tales, just as a, as an aside. And I thought, I gotta go check that out, and as of course it was wonderful. And this is this is a delightful tale, quite different again, which I always like in the folk tales. And I'm gonna not give any more context. Gonna dive right in for it. I've given you plenty, and we'll chat a bit more afterwards. But this is Gullish and the Princess of France on Fireside. <laughs> Gullish and the Princess of France Once upon a time on a hill just outside the town of Castlebar in County Mayo, there lived a young boy named Gullish. Gullish was restless and longed for adventure, but could not see any prospective quest over any horizon. His father was a farmer, as his father had been before him, going back too far to count. Their land was ancient, and Gullish's father was proud of it. But Galish wasn't. His father would call him a lazy ingrate. You have an aversion to doing a hard day's work. That's what's wrong with you, boy. This land has been in our family for generations, but I'd sooner see the ground salted than handed down to your ungrateful hole. Galish was used to being spoken to in this way. He would never argue with his father, because he knew where he was coming from. 
But the truth was, all Gullish wanted was to see lands other than Castlebar. He was sure that once he had, he would probably end up missing home and come back to inherit his father's land and happily spend the rest of his life digging and sowing the earth as was the family way. But if he did not get out first, he would never know and would regret it for the rest of his life. Because his family land was ancient, there was a ring fort very near Gullish's house that was rumoured to belong to the other folk, the fairies. This was a spot Gullish would regularly sit on a wall and stare up at the night sky. I envy you, Mr. Moon, said Gullish. You see the whole world every day. I've seen nothing but the fields around me all my life. I'd give anything to see anywhere else. And of course, no sooner had the words escaped Galicia's lips when he felt the leaves all around him rustle and lift off the ground. They began to spiral until a fully-fledged whirlwind appeared before Galicia. He covered his eyes to stop the dust and dirt getting into them. But from the source of the wind, he thought he could hear the distinct sounds of voices. Galicia listened intently and made out the words. My horse, my bridle, my saddle, my horse, my bridle, my saddle. Over and over again these words were repeated. Galish was entranced. He felt drawn to the wind and the sound, so he began to repeat the words himself. My horse, my bridle, my saddle. After just one utterance, the whirlwind had dissipated, and standing before Galish was a magnificent white stallion, with a bridle and saddle made of leather so fine Galish could smell it over the horsehairs. The leathers were embroidered with gold and silver. Galish was hesitant to approach, for fear he would besmirch the beautiful image. Suddenly, three other horses began to circle Galish. The dust their hooves kicked up nearly blinded the young man, but when the beasts stopped and the dust settled, Gullish could see that riding each one was a small man. They were bearded, and they would have looked comical due to the difference in size to their mounts, were it not for their red caps, which alerted Gullish to the fact that these men were, in fact, she, the other folk, fairies. Well, what are you waiting for? said one. Yeah, do you think we conjured the beast for nothing? Come on, Gullish, don't you want to come for a ride? Gullish did indeed want to go for a ride, so he dutifully obeyed and scrambled onto the stallion. He had ridden horses before, but not of this size, and had only ever trotted. But as soon as his feet were fixed into the stirrups, the three fairies and their mounts took off, and Gullish's stallion followed suit. It didn't feel like the boy was riding the horse, more like he was holding on for dear life. The horse rode the entire breadth of the country at an enchanted speed. From Mail, they bounded across the entireties of Roscommon, Longford, Westmeath, Normalmeath, and Dublin. When in Dublin, Gullish could see the Hoth coastline nearing. He was afraid that the horse would plummet to both of their deaths. But this was, after all, a fairy horse. The head redcap shouted out, High over cap! When he said this, all four horses leapt into the air higher and higher and soared over the Irish Sea. 
Gullish was terrified to look up or down, but eventually opened his eyes and watched the full moon shine down onto the dark sea. The moon, who Gullish had envied only that night, felt like he was now chasing. Soon the four steeds landed, and once they did, they halted, and the three little men dismounted, and Gullish followed suit. Do you know where we are, Gullish? England? The men began to laugh. No, don't worry, we'd never take you to England. We're just a bit farther away than that. Guess again. Enough guessing. We're in France, by. France was a country Gullish had barely even heard of. It was a place he never in his wildest dreams imagined he would visit. He would have settled for Dublin. Why have you brought me to France? We have a quest, Gullish. I thought you knew that. Ah, yes, of course. Well, what is our quest? Ours is a very classic and noble quest. We're going to rescue a princess from a castle. Wonderful, said Gullish. Is there a dragon protecting her? No, just her friends and family. Oh, wait, wait, what? What do you mean? Do they want to kill her or something? No, just marry her off. That doesn't sound like any adventure story I've read. It's a story as old as time, Gullish. The king of France has no sons and only one daughter. He wishes to marry her off to a foreign prince, to solidify his reign, expand his empire, and assure a male heir. The princess Isabella has no interest in marrying the prince. She's being forced against her will. This is every fantasy story ever. Gullish couldn't argue with the fairies when they put it like that. He said he would help them. After all, he had come this far, and would, he assumed, want to go home at some stage. The head redcap muttered something under his breath, and suddenly the four heroes were inside the palace walls. Gullish had only ever seen the ruins of Norman castles in Ireland, but never one that still stood intact, much less was still lived in by royalty. Thick red carpets were on the ground, and rich tapestries adorned the walls. But Galish was frightened again by the massive crowds of people all around in their fineries. Galish himself was in what, comparatively speaking, were tattered rags, and the three men he thought stood out even more than he. But no French man or woman looked at any of them. They all carried on their own business. Galish thought this strange until he realised that to the French, the four of them were quite literally invisible. They scouted through the corridors of the palace until they came to the great hall, with paintings and spiral staircases and a chandelier bigger than Galicia's house. Where is the princess? the boy asked. Can you not spot her? said one of the men. Galish followed where the little man's finger pointed, and then he saw her. A more beautiful-looking girl Galish had never seen. She was dressed in beautiful white silks, but even her clothing could not exceed her natural beauty. But as Galish looked on, he saw tears in the princess's eyes. She's crying. Well, you would be too if you were being forced to marry against your will. But she won't be crying for long. We'll rescue her from these Franks, take her back to Ireland, and then she'll marry us. The irony of this statement seemed to be lost on the Redcaps but not on Galish. His heart panged for the lovely princess. One way or the other, it seemed she would have no choice in her husband. 
He debated which seemed the lesser of the two evils, but there was no time. The prospective prince approached the princess Isabella and asked her to dance. Isabella reluctantly agreed, but when the prince and princess were in the centre of the dance floor, one redcap crouched behind the princess, another pushed her over, and the third cast a spell that turned her invisible too. Everyone in the great hall had been watching the couple and began to shout and scream when they saw the young beauty disappear before their eyes. The redcaps grabbed the princess and ran out of the great hall, calling out behind them, Run, Galish! The four thieves and their bounty found themselves once again back at their mounts on the western French coastline. Golish didn't know what to do, but he had at least the beginnings of an idea. He said to the redcaps, Let me lift the princess onto the horse for you. My stallion will carry her to Ireland. The redcaps had no problem with this. In fact, it seemed to be why they had brought a human along in the first place, as a mindless body. Once again, high over cap was called out by the head red cap, and once again the four horses leapt across the channel in the Irish Sea, landing at Dublin. But once they landed this time, they kept galloping across Meath, Westmeath, Longford, Roscommon, Mayo, until they finally made it back to the fairy wrath by Galicia's house. When they landed, Galish took the princess in both his arms, leapt off the horse, and made a break for it. He had not given the plan much thought, and was sure he would be pursued and cursed, but to the young man's delight, neither happened. Rather, he just heard the redcaps call out, Golish, you lying thief! Come back here! After all we've done for you, get back on that horse! It seemed that the fairy's only power over Golish was when he was on the horse. This girl has the right to choose her husband, she shouldn't have to marry one of you, just because you stole her away from our family. And I suppose you think she's going to want to marry you then, do you? That part of adventure stories is a lie, Galish. You're poor, and you don't even have any magical powers. Yes, said the head redcap, such as these. Let's see how much you like the princess when she cannot speak to you. The redcap muttered some words, clapped his hands, and the three fairies were gone. The princess had been unconscious since they had left the palace, but had woken up when her and Golish dismounted the horse. She looked frantically around her, not knowing what had happened or where she was. When the redcaps were gone, Golish approached the frightened girl. Hi, um, what's the crack? The princess backed away. No, no, it's okay. I, I'm not one of them. I literally met them tonight. I'm so sorry about all this. Had I known these lads were rescuing you from your home, only to imprison you themselves, of course I wouldn't have helped them. I promise I'll make this right. Isabella just stared at him. Can you understand me? I can't tell if you just can't speak, won't speak, or can't understand English. The princess opened her mouth and pointed at her tongue. I don't really think this is the time for shifting, but... Oh! You can understand me. You just can't speak. Isabella nodded. Oh, brilliant. Uh, well, not brilliant, but, but this is a start. We can work with this. We just need a place for you to stay, because... I wouldn't subject you to staying at my father's house. Too many questions and comments. We're safe, 
Who won't judge? Just give unconditional support. <gasps> My granny! So Galish took Isabella by the hand and they ran over the hills until they arrived at his granny's house. Ah, Galish, aren't you the great boy to visit your little old granny? Although it is very late. I'm sorry to wake you, granny, but it's an emergency. And who is this lovely young Colleen you've brought with you? And what is she wearing? Galish told his granny the entire story from field to France to field, and his granny didn't question a single thing he said. Rural Irish grannies are great for believing fairy stories. Granny Galish agreed to take care of Isabella, while Galish tried to think of a plan to get her home. Isabella was dressed in more appropriate Irish attire and given her own room in Granny's house. Over the following few months, Galish wrote a letter to France every single week. He addressed them to every member of the French royal family possible, in the hopes at least one letter would make it to the king to let him know his daughter's whereabouts. Every day he would visit his granny's house to see Isabella. She was usually kept out of sight, and if she ever did meet anyone on the road or visiting the house, Galish or the granny would say that she was a visitor from Cork and that she didn't speak Mayo. Isabella and Golish developed a system of communicating with each other, and even though they saw each other every day, they would write letters to each other to read when they were not together. It wasn't long before the two began to fall in love with each other. Now, Golish didn't want his letters to reach the king, for fear Isabella would be taken away from him. But he knew that that was selfish, so he dutifully kept writing them each and every week. In all of this time, though, Galish never got any closer to finding out how to cure Isabella's curse of speech. It was nearly a year to the day since they had met when Galish thought, I'll return to the same spot I met the fairies a year ago to the hour, and I'll get the cure. So Galish returned to the stone wall by the fairy wrath and waited. One hour, two, three went by, and nothing appeared. But Galish refused to leave. His stubbornness bore fruit when at last he saw the leaves on the ground begin to blow and circle themselves until that whirlwind was blowing strong. The voices came again. My horse, my bridle, my... Galish? What are you doing here, kid? No use calling out for a horse. You won't getting one. We're not bringing you along again, you lousy thief. How's herself, the mute princess? Are ye sick of her yet? Not at all said Galish proudly. I came here to ask you to lift the curse. And why would we do that? said the head redcap. Because I'm in love with her. Oh, well in that case, there's a rare plant that grows in your very own back garden. Mix that up and give it to the princess and she'll be right as rain. And with that, the fairies were off. It was all too easy. Too good to be true. They had to be playing a trick. But at the same time, it was all Gullish had to go on. So he ran to his house and searched the garden for any unusual-looking plants. And sure enough, one stood out. It had long curly vines and bright green leaves. It was unmistakable. But Gullish still didn't trust it. It might be poison. How to tell? He plucked the plant, brought it inside, boiled the kettle and made a brew of the herb. It was the only way... 
Kalish thought. For his love, Kalish drank the cup and immediately fell to the ground. But Kalish didn't die. Rather, he woke up the next morning healthy and rested. He tried to speak and found his voice seemed stronger than ever. He even tried to sing and found he could hold a tune for the first time in his life. Galish quickly packed up the rest of the herb and sprinted to his grannies. He wouldn't doubt it anymore. He got to grannies and told Isabella what had happened. She too was dubious of the men who had kidnapped her. But Galish asked her if she trusted him, which of course she did. She loved him. So Isabella drank the brew and fell unconscious. But Galish was there to catch her. When Isabella awoke, Galish asked, How did you sleep? I slept very well, thank you, was the reply. The spell was lifted, and Princess Isabella could speak once more. Even though they now didn't need their own special means of communication, and that her speech meant Isabella could go wherever she pleased in Castle Bar, the love between the two only grew. Golish finally introduced her to his family, and his father was actually proud of what his son had done. Golish and Isabella were married, and soon after they were, a letter arrived in the post. The letter was from France. Isabella's father, the king, had finally received words of his daughter's whereabouts and safety. He was overjoyed and offered the two a choice. Return to France and rule as king and queen, or stay in Castle Bar. Isabella knew her choice, and Golish, the boy who had wanted adventure all his life, knew his. The two would stay in Ireland. The king understood and sent them a huge dowry as a wedding present. And with that money, Golish and Isabella were free to travel wherever they wanted. They saw all of Ireland and then travelled further afield, travelling all of Europe, even visiting Isabella's old home in France. But after all their adventures, they would always still return to the place where they had fallen in love. To that hill, just outside Castlebar, in County Mayo. The End And that was Gaulish and the Princess of France on Vireside. I hope you enjoyed it. It was... A love story. We haven't had... In the folk tales. we haven't really had as many out-and-out love stories. And what I like about this is so many folk stories are, of course, love at first sight. That old classic trope. And here we don't have that at all. We have love by sheer accident. Love that grows over time. And love that seems real, even though there are, of course... There are different fantasy elements that make up this that strike true. The biggest one for me personally is The Little Mermaid with the whole losing the voice thing. Reminds me of, I'm not sure if it's in the fairy tale itself. I think it is in the fairy tale itself with Ariel losing her voice. It might not be. I will have to look that up. Apologizes. Apologies for any hardcore Hans Christian Anderson fans. <coughs> But, of course, that becomes problematic with her losing the voice and them still falling in love. So it's lovely, the idea of that they do do build up. I added a couple of elements myself, such as the letters and things, but they definitely, them forming their own form of communication, that is in the original folktale. 
I found this a few quite dated versions of this. There was a couple of tough versions to re- read that that didn't really stand up. I, I I just felt there was the good story in it. I liked the elements of it so much. I loved the going to France and the visiting the castle and just the idea of kidnapping the princess, the lesser of two evils of it. And I liked Galish. I loved Galish as a name and I liked him as a character and the image of him staring out over the moon. The only thing I really changed majorly was <laughs> in kind of the original version of it. I think it's a Douglas Hyde story originally. Uh, the big bad boss of the Gaelic revival, Douglas Hyde. And I think the big, only major really element that changed is that Galish has really dirty feet. That's kind of the thing of Galish. Galish is introduced as a person who's never washed his feet his entire life. And that's, he's kicked out of his own home for that. His father confronts him and says, you've never washed your feet in all your life. And he says, that's not true. Sure, I went swimming last week. And I just didn't really like it. Um, I liked the idea of Galish being more of a wide-eyed, impressionable hero, but that he could still be lovable rather than a man with just manky, dirty feet. It didn't really seem to go anywhere. Maybe if it had been an important plot point later or it had made him, meeting the Princess of France had made him wash his feet or it was what attracted the fairies to him in the first place, but none of that was the case. It just seemed, that just seems to be where, I don't even know what's, what's the name come from. I couldn't really find the source for that, but it is a wonderful name, isn't it? Galish. I liked that quite a good bit. Um, and yes, I suppose the tricky part of this is Gullish finding out how to cure Isabella because that does that does happen. Well, in in the version in the versions I read, they basically the fairies reappear and they say, "Oh, there's Gullish." They're kind of talking out loud, but not really at to or at him. So they say, oh, there he is. I bet he thinks he's going to come off with us and he's not the case. And little does he know that all he has to do is pluck a yoke and then he'll be grand. And Gullish isn't supposed to have heard any of it, despite the fact that he's standing right there and they do kind of see him. Uh, I couldn't really go that far in the ways of disbelief. Because he does hear them, he overhears them, and then goes, and still does doubt it the whole way, in a way of, uh, he is almost con- commenting on the ease of it, which is which is quite nice. That even while he's brewing it, and that's why he drinks it, is because he thinks it can't be that easy. So, I just love, because with fairies, especially Irish fairies, you never can tell. They will just mess around with you. They'll do something nice for no reason, and they'll do something horrible for no reason. They keep you on your toes. So, to be honest, that was quite interesting to me. Just the idea that they just, he asked, and they just told him. And they knew that he'd doubt it. They knew that he'd be tormented by it. And they probably thought that he would never do it because they would assume, he would assume that it wasn't the case and that they would be just laughing to themselves knowing that we did tell him, we told him the real thing and he just doubted it because he doesn't trust us. And I liked that and I liked the the process of it, of him drinking drinking the brew, thinking it could be poison, you know, taking that one for the team and for his love. Not for the team, for his love. <laughs> and the beautiful ending of them being offered the kingdom of France, that isn't in any version I've found. That was an edition of mine now where in the story the king does eventually contact them and just says here sound here's a load of money hope you have a nice life he doesn't offer Gullish to be the king of France but I thought 
That surely could be possible. In the context of this, imagine Gulish, the King of France. Who knows what, what time this was? This post. This might be just before, just before the French Revolution. In which case, probably not long before it. So, in which case, this is that would not have been a good time. Gulish could have been that king. He could have got the chop. And where would that have got him then? That wouldn't have been nice at all. But he decided to stay in Castlebar. Castlebar is, of course, the county town of Mayo, and it is where Dara and Michal Healy, my friends, are from. And this episode is, of course, dedicated to them, to my good buddies, who I miss very much. And they're all the way up there. I don't think there is much else for me to say on that. It was a nice longer tale as well. These two last two episodes have been quite long, and I liked that. Uh, our last tale was, of course, um, The Pursuit of Dermot and Grania, the myth, which was the longest episode ever, I think. And this was a similar one as well, a nice, long, beefy tale. Because I never really decide. I pick the stories. I obviously pick stories that are of a good length in in the versions I see, there are some that are far too short that I know I won't get enough a podcast worth of a tale out of. But I never think like, oh, this is going to be about five or six pages. But they usually do average about four or five, six pages. But these last two have been ten. And as such, the stories have been about half an hour long, which is great. That's that's a great length. And I hope you enjoy them. I hope you enjoy those. Because the stories is, is what this is about. The comment and the bit of a banter afterwards is just more of a personal touch, as I said last week. But... I hope you did enjoy it as much as I did. So I will wrap it up there. I'm running out of time here in the studio. But I, if it was your first time listening to the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. Why don't you go back and listen to the beginning? Thank you all to continuing listeners. Please do continue to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you can subscribe. Leave ratings, leave comments. They do build up. Please do, if you so choose, if you so want, if you want to see this podcast live, if you'd like to come along and be in the audience at this podcast, please do donate to the patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. Any and everything is very much appreciated. My name is Kevin Ciolan. I've been your Fireside Bar. Thank you so much to the folks here at the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios for continuing to support and produce this podcast. And thank you so much to my own personal producer, Jamie, for editing and making this podcast sound oh so lovely. I am going to wrap it up now, but I will see you all and you will hear me all next week by the fireside. Thank you so much and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.